You're listening to episode 117 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, I got a lot of dirty looks this week. People seem really upset with me. Why is that? Well, I was really excited and amped up for Punisher Season 2, so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cosplay this week and just get in, you know get in the character and get excited. So I threw on some black tactile uh, uh, tactile. What's the word I'm looking for? Shit, <laughs> dude, I don't know. <laughs> some some black cargo pants. Some you know uh, just trying to look a little more like the Punisher, you know. And I had a, like a black vest on. I put a, like a giant white skull on my shirt and everything I own. And I went out in public like this, thinking like, yeah, everyone's gonna be really on board and think it's cool. And no one, no one thought it was cool. Everyone uh, was very mad at me for this. I don't know why. Was it because of the giant weapon you were carrying? Oh yeah, I did have my penis out. <laughs> well, boy, maybe I should have stuck around to watch the rest of that show. Oh, but one person had the audacity to say, "What are you dressed up like an asshole?" And I was like, "Hey, man, that's not very nice." So, for better or worse, we don't plan bits on this show, uh, and it clearly in this case it's for the worse. Uh, hopefully, you guys are willing to stick with us after that. I gotta, I gotta say, 117 episodes in, I can't believe that one was the worst one we've ever done. Was it? It helps that I am sick. Does it? Uh, I would like to do a best of show. Where we, <laughs> where we play the worst openings ever, or the worst oh, no. bits, worst uh, stuff. I would, I would be part of that. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> I'm sure I would well, be too. No, no. Listen, you understand. This is like my primary responsibility, so it'd be like a hundred percent me. Yeah. Well, no. What we're saying is, we would, we would definitely uh, be game for sitting for sitting here for a whole episode roughly three hours roasting <laughs> your dumb ass <laughs> uh, that's actually what this episode is welcome to the roast of phil casey ah uh, dang oh man well uh we're missing marco and pete they both have concussions so i totally understand why <laughs> yep marco and pete are out this week with concussions we wish them well in their future endeavors uh, I, I am a, I, I did come prepared to audition audition a new Pete and Bessie though. Go ahead. Another one? Yeah, I got it. Ready? Here he is. The new Pete and Bessie for the comics pals. <laughs> what do you think? So he just is he just back up the whole time? <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> he's got a big ass. And he's loud. I guess does I guess he? it would be okay. Well the new Pete does, yeah. Yeah, our Pete doesn't have an ass. I am uh, <laughs> I am not fond of the comedy right now, so I'm going to intro the show. Uh, as I said, this is episode 117. Thank you for joining us. If you want to get us all over the internet, we are the Comics Pals on social media. We are the Comics Pals on all podcast hosting platforms. Go ahead and hit that five-star, five-star, five-star review, wherever it is you listen to us. Write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you're checking this out on YouTube, thank you very much. You can be sure to leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. 
all of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. We've got some book clubs coming up. We've got the Hellboy Book Club, which is actually due out this Friday, I believe. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah, this Friday, the 25th. Uh, So some Hellboy goodness ahead of the movie for you guys. When does the movie come out? April. Yeah. so that early. Wow. Way ahead. Yeah, way ahead. Uh, Little little peek behind. I believe Hellboy was pushed back, the movie, right? And we had to... Uh, I think so, and it's also kind of just crowded around there. There's like That's Avengers true. and yeah, Captain Marvel. Yeah, lots yeah. of lots of superhero movies coming out. We're getting into that. We're getting into that uh, mode, and we're going to be talking about some of those. Uh, as Phil referenced, Punisher season two is out. Uh, Phil, have you had the opportunity to watch any episodes? No, I actually completely forgot it came out until this uh, last night when I was already in bed. So. Uh, it's okay. We'll have all watched it by next week, except for Kale. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I'm a weenie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark and Ripley will be back. Have I have watched it. Yes, I have watched the first two episodes. Ooh. And uh, I've been seeing a lot of people saying that the show is bad. I've also seen people say it starts really slow. And I thoroughly disagree with both points um is it it's 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 a little bit of a it's faster than punisher season one to start i'll say that much um the first episode builds towards something that is absolutely crazy and to me for me one of the cooler fight scenes we've had so far uh, in all of these shows, and I really, really loved that first episode. I really enjoyed it, and the second one was really good too. Um, I won't spoil anything, but uh, I, I, I'm way into it so far, hmm. and I think a lot of the criticism uh, is. I mean, this is my opinion. A lot of it seems to be coming from people who probably don't like this kind of show. Uh, is it similar to the first season in your mind? Like, both, like, tonally and, like, th- does it feel similar? Yeah, it, f- it absolutely f- feels like it, it comes straight from the same crop of people, the same, you know, energy level, the same everything as season one. And, you know, if you like that, I don't see why you wouldn't like this. Fair enough. I mean, that show was a little divisive as it was the first season, but uh, we all really liked it, so. I mean, yeah, man, I, the, the reviews that I read that, were positive were very 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 positive hmm. the reviews that i read that were negative and i i mean it's not like i read every review on earth right i i, you know, I read a few the reviews that i read were negative often had more to do with politics okay than actual content is 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 it the same cast too like uh yeah. is there much of or is it like a kind of a, ner- a new turnover of characters outside of frank uh, seen pretty much everybody from season one so far. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm really excited to sink my teeth into it. Uh, I, uh, of all the Netflix shows, I thought Punisher was the best next to the Daredevil three seasons. Uh, so I've, I'm really, I, I, I actually, did, I genuinely forgot that it dropped on Thursday. Uh, but I'm really happy to, and excited to sink my teeth into it, uh, later tonight. Uh, yeah. of our recording. Yes. 
Uh, I'm anxious to hear what you guys at home have to say about the show, and I can't wait to talk about it. Next week, we will be dropping our review of The Punisher Season 2, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that, tune in for that. Uh, But that's next week. We are on this week. And this week, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, um, but we're going to jump into our Palace Pulse first. So, Kale, why don't you start us off with Kaiju Max Season 4, Number 4. So this is uh, a series long-time listeners will know that I have been following for a long time. It's a, a, a giant monster prison comic. So mm. it's like it's like a Godzilla movie set in Oz. Um, and so this is uh, <laughs> this is uh, season four, which is the you know the fourth story arc in the in the thing. Um, and I am behind because I uh, you know I have been uh, trade waiting it like I do everything, but um, I, I wanted to use this opportunity to bring it uh, back up. Uh, because it's it's a phenomenal book. Um, Xander Cannon um, knows uh, his kaiju stuff. He knows how to mix all of the cool. Um, like some of the police are um, like they're like Ultraman parodies. Um, it's just it's incredible. Um, I highly recommend it. Very cool. Uh, and then uh, Phil, you chose New Mutants by Abnett and Lanning. Hey, uh, when did this happen? (laughs) Um, uh, Listeners of this show should well know that I'm a big fan of Abnett and Lanning's collaborations. And I did not know that this book came out. And by the looks of it, this is a uh, trade paperback, volume one. By the looks of it, this was 2009. Ten years ago. Wow. Please, anyone at home that's listening, did anyone else know about this book? And am I just a crazy person? Because I like the New Mutants. Uh, I did an interview with um, Bob McLeod uh, about the New Mutants, which you can watch on YouTube. Uh, I did not know Abnett and Lanning worked on this title. Goddamn, uh, I want to read this. I feel like that would have been during the fraction run on in in the X Men. Is that right? right? Hmm. It sounds, might be a little. Well, that he sounds... was he was on X Men during the Utopia event, which took place after the siege, or no, before the siege actually. And siege was in 2010, I believe. Yeah, I think, I think so... Gillen was on. I think Gillen was on. X-Men then. Was it Gillen? I, I, think, could be I, think, I think it was Fraction and then Gillen. Yeah. Okay. You might be, you might be right. You might have me there. Uh, so I just looked it up. Actually, he was on uh, Uncanny X-Men from 2008 to 2011. So it was Fraction. There you Fraction. go. Look at you, Kale. This is like your wheelhouse. Wait, I said I Fraction. Can. Good man, Kale. Great job, man. I'm really impressed <laughs> with your knowledge. I have an approximate knowledge of many things. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is this is something that I've never heard of. I I wasn't, or maybe I just don't recall it. I don't think I've read it. Uh, certainly haven't read the whole thing. I'd remember that. Um, but this is cool. I, I I hope you do read it honestly. Yeah, no, this is uh, this well, is. I hope you don't read it honestly. Oh man, no. Which I road do I go down? To it the whole time. I feel really divided right now. Well, you're just going to have to pick a side. 
<laughs> divide we stand united we fall yes uh, I, I want to read it I, I tend to follow creators more than characters uh, even though I have characters I gravitate toward obviously um, and it just so happened that this is, has a little bit of both I uh, I can't tell you the last time I got to read an Abnett and Lanning book so this is this is a juicy opportunity very cool um, again if you do end up reading it follow up because I'd love to know and I think people at home would love to know as well how good it is uh, right. and then you both chose Shazam number two Kale what do you think about this what can you say about Shazam <laughs> <laughs> that was wow I really set you up there to hit a home run and clearly I did um, I'm really excited to keep going with this book uh it's um, Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. Um, they're uh, re- doing – the first issue was incredible. They um, do an amazing job um, of, of capturing a, a glimpse at, at the whole Shazam family. And, and um, it looks like there's some, uh, some Windsor McKay um, vibes in the storyline that's going on with the, the super magic uh, train station or whatever. Um, so I'm here for it. I'm I'm very excited to see where it's gonna go. Yeah. Um, it's always tough to talk about books that you're reading while they're coming out because I want to just immediately be like, "Hey, is this cliffhanger from the end of issue one gonna happen? I can't wait to find out." But then, like, <laughs> I can't really do that for the people who are waiting on the trades or just haven't picked it up yet. So, puts me in a little bit of an impasse. Uh, if you're not reading this, folks, you're sleeping on it. And the most important thing of all is that this book takes place in Philadelphia. Nice. So that's that's reason enough to pick it up because it seems like every book takes place in New York. Surely we'll see Gritty at some point. Oh, I, I, right? I hope so. I want to see Shazam fight Gritty or better yet, with Gritty. Yeah, with Gritty, for sure. Yeah, I... um. I mean, we we reviewed this positively on the show. Um, I liked it. I don't know if I loved it the way I I wanted to, but I am here for the ride. So it is. It was one issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's a great creative team, right? So mm. I chose Buffy number one, and I can't express how excited I am. This is a comic book that I've actually been looking forward to for a while now. Um, I haven't been this excited about a book in a long time. Like, I rarely get this excited about a comic. Just because, you know, I mean, my my love for for Buffy really, really runs deep. And um, the last run on Buffy was long over at Dark Horse. It is over now, and they are bringing it back. Um, the creative team is Jordi Belair and Dan Mora. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Dark Horse is bringing it back? No, no, no. Uh, do, do, it was at Dark Horse. Boom is yeah. bringing it back. Oh, Boom. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I know Kale appreciates Dan Mora's work because of that Power Rangers. Power Rangers and uh, Klaus. Klaus, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and boom, man, they're killing it with their licenses recently. Um, Power Rangers, um, I know I saw Over the Garden Wall uh, is on like their fifth or sixth trade. 
Oh, interesting. Um, Adventure Time, Sonic. Hey, uh, Kale, are, I'm sorry to hijack this for a second, but are Boom Sonic comics as weird as the Archie ones? <laughs> I Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta give them time for the, um, you know, for the, uh, the good storylines to run out, and then they can get weird. Got it. Um, Sean, not to uh, sorry to interrupt there. Does, does Sarah Michelle Geller reprise her role in this book? Hold on, I have a better question. Does the actress from the first Buffy reprise her role in this? Is it Christy Brinkley? I'm playing Buffy this time <laughs> around. Oh, nice, dude. Oh, all right. Wow. Diversity called. I picked up. <laughs> it was uh, Kirsty Swanson. There Christy you go. Swanson. There you go. Oh. I'm sure Sean knew that. So uh, I had no idea. So <laughs> uh, the only thing I the only other thing I wanted to say about this one is just that it's a modernization of Buffy. So it's not mm. it's not going to be Buffy in the '90s. It's going to be you know what if Buffy was a 2019 high school girl mm. and one of her friends were that same age and all that. So I think that's really cool, um, and I love the idea of getting to see. You know, getting to go through the journey with these kids all over again, um, except that now they have to deal with modern problems. And they'll have cell phones, so no more ridiculous plots. <laughs> Issue one, okay. Buffy gets a cell phone. The writer, the writers will actually have to work. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, you go back to any 90s TV show, right? And you just add a cell phone into the mix of any, like, crazy scenario. Yeah, everything works fine. Well, even even like horror movies today have have to ride around cell phones and be like, I can't get reception here. <laughs> <laughs> or start out oh, no, my... these movies in deserts. <laughs> like, oh no, my phone broke. <laughs> I tripped. It flew out of my pocket. I didn't have a protector on. It exploded. I can't I'm... believe there's a serial killer on this cruise. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, is Pete dead? He oh yeah! Been. By the way, Pete's dead. <laughs> wow! Rip. Beep Meh. beep beep beep. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Pete. Rest rest in Poseidon. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, let's let's jump into the news. Let's talk about uh, a man who is not afraid of the water. Uh, a man who actually rules the seas and the box office. We are talking about Aquaman, whose movie has now passed one billion dollars worldwide. One billion dollars. Yep. Which makes it now the number two DC movie ever. What's what's number one? You know, I knew that you were going to ask that question, and I knew it was specifically going to be you, Kale. Um, it's. You know what? I'm not going to answer that. I want you to guess. Um, okay. All right. So it's of of all time? So it is of all time. <laughs> and <laughs> also, we're talking, you know, overall, global. Are you making this 20 questions, Kale? <laughs> I'm just setting my parameters. <laughs> is it male or female? <laughs> <laughs> Global. All time. Oh my god. 
He's really thinking about this. Batman and Robin? <laughs> no. What? No. Uh, no, Phil, hold you... on. Go ahead. <laughs> in in 1997, that movie came out. It was at the height of the Batman no, that, junk. That movie's no. been eclipsed several times in this decade. Well, that's not that's not my fault. This is not uh, adjusting for inflation, I, I imagine. Correct. Okay, so it's probably The Dark Knight Rises. You're absolutely correct. Yep, there you go. Rises? <sighs> Rises. Of course, the that's best the in the franchise would be the one... <laughs> To have made the most money. These things go hand in hand. We all know this. The best in the franchise! (laughs) God, get the hell out of here! Just just a little joke for you. Just a little joke. Uh, I like like that both of our jokes had the same premise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, but the difference between our jokes is that I actually really enjoy the movie, and you don't. Um, So, yeah. yeah. The Dark Knight Rises is a trashy movie. I can't help that. That's incorrect. Aquaman is doing incredibly well. I think it's safe to say better than anybody thought, right? I don't think anybody projected this. No. Not that uh, I've seen. Absolutely not. Uh, I think the fact that it's doing... Okay. The fact that it's doing better than both Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League tells you how important word of mouth and quality is as opposed to just recognizable IP. Because you have the two most recognizable superheroes of frickin' forever. <laughs> Both films are box office. I don't necessarily want to say failures, but they just underperformed to expectations. And here you have the guy who quote-unquote was the biggest joke of all comic books. The guy who talks to fish. <laughs> and he's their second most successful film ever. Yep. And may, very well may bow out as the number one DC movie ever. Because it's still in theaters. It hasn't even opened in Japan. Now, I think I know why it's doing so well internationally. Yeah. Why is that? I have a theory. The planet is covered in 70% in water. And I think that's where the movie's probably being seen the most. Water. Alright. Well, your theory is wrong. Uh, huh? And Yeah. If you would have stop yourself from speaking and simply ask the Eastmaster himself, he would explain why this movie's doing so well, as he already has on a prior episode. So why don't you go back and listen to the Master? That's that's fair. I need to show some respect for the Eastmaster. Isn't he dead? Didn't we oh. just say he died? He well, did that's die, why I, but I, I told him to go back more... and listen to a prior episode, when, you know, when he was still alive. And that's more uh, reason... No, we have that... to get rid of those now. <laughs> Whoa, what? We have to Welcome to episode those? one of the Comics Pals. Actually, two. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, we, so we have to expunge him from all our records? What did he do? Listen, that's how it goes. So he dies, you got no, to get rid of all their stuff. All their shit. No, we have to show proper respect, okay? He's the Eastmaster. I need to go that's back. That's how and- you do it. You burn all their stuff so that nobody else can find it. I'm sorry. Huh. What? I did not know that this there was a whole procedure for when an Eastmaster dies. So well, I mean, I would do I would do the same for you. Well, I'm not an Eastmaster. Well, no. You just well, burned my stuff. I, listen, I would burn you if I had the choice. Now, can you tell me? Uh, can you tell me more about that thought, please? <laughs> the burning of you? 
Yes. I want to light you on fire. All right, let's move on from that. Let's talk about <laughs> what puts fire out. Let's talk about water. Uh, let's talk about who's in the water. Fine. Let's talk I'll about drown Phil. <laughs> I mean, I said Iron Man. Jesus. I mean, Aquaman. <laughs> I can't with the show today, guys. I just listen. It's rough stuff. Um, <laughs> so obviously, the people who who made this movie are over the moon excited. Um, everybody at WB has been, you know, praising it, and they're very excited. Uh, Ron Sanders, who is the president, or, or the, yeah, the president of Worldwide Distribution over at WB said, We're thrilled audiences around the world have embraced Aquaman in such a big, big way. Jason, the filmmakers, and the team at DC have delivered a film that people love, and we are so appreciative of their support. So, movie doing very, very well for itself. Now, one person who maybe deserves more credit than we're giving him is Zack Snyder. Well... I don't know about. I don't know. If that's true. Well, let's talk about it. No thanks. Yeah. Well, too bad. <laughs> We're going to. Uh, so Neil Daly, who is an actor that oversaw allegedly oversaw test screenings for Justice League and James Wan's Aquaman, uh, is saying that Snyder had a role in actually helping James Wan craft the Aquaman character in a way that segued him away from Joss Whedon's Justice League version. And I think what Daly has to say is really interesting, if he is to be believed. So he said this, We could have gotten a whole movie about Aquaman basically fawning over Mera the whole time and making all kinds of dirty jokes and things like that, and they really had to get away from that, which is all what Whedon had done. So Snyder had a little bit of influence on Aquaman. James Wan was showing Zack Snyder against the studio's wishes, cuts of the movie and early test screenings and storyboards to make sure that they're on the same page with what he originally wanted and Snyder gave his blessing of approval bringing it back to what he wanted all along so if that's true then the Aquaman that we got in uh, Justice League is not the version that Zack Snyder originally pitched that that the character we saw was primarily Joss Whedon's version uh, and that James Wan went behind the studio's back to get Snyder's help to fix the character for Aquaman. Huh. I guess that means Aquaman and my bowel movement both had some Zack Snyder influence involved. <coughs> Chris. <clears throat> I have so I have two thoughts there. <laughs> what then and I, I don't remember Justice League. That is a movie I have wholly expunged from my memory. Alright. So this is this is halfway serious. What then does Aquaman have to offer in Justice League? I have to be so, honest, I I vaguely remember him in that movie. Well, I remember him very well because I actually enjoyed him in the movie, uh, although a lot of people didn't. Um so there's a particular scene that a lot of people point to where he is sitting on the lasso and he starts talking yeah. about how hot Wonder Woman is. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. that was but that's, a, so that's a that's a Whedon scene. According to Daly, that's a Whedon scene, right? Um, and that a lot of the Aquaman. I, I mean, I'm I'm extrapolating at this point, but that yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the humor of Aquaman from Justice League is more of Whedon's uh, approach than Snyder's. I just I I I couldn't. 
I don't even know if I could watch it again and put my finger on what Snyder would have done with Aquaman. Like, that's just how unmemorable that movie was to me. And well, may, maybe even well, that's how unmemorable he made Aquaman in that movie. And in, in, in fairness, Justice League was like a Frankenstein movie of two kind of... Yeah, for sure. And and look, I, I am on record and I'm not going to shy away from, you know, um, what I like and who I like. I've always been a big fan of Joss Whedon. I just talked about Buffy. I grew up on that show. That show had a massive impact on my life. I also read the Wonder Woman script or, you know, a portion of the Wonder Woman script that he wrote that was rejected. Um, Did you like it? No. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) I've also seen Avengers, you know? So it's not crazy to me that those sequences in Justice League that painted Aquaman in a certain light are by Whedon. And again, I didn't have a problem with that scene necessarily. If Mm. someone, if, if if a regular guy, an average guy, I guess, was lassoed and had to tell the truth and looked at Wonder Woman, he'd probably say what Aquaman said. That's, that's, it makes sense. I think what people quibbled with is that they, constructed that whole sequence just to have him say that and that's a little goofy but that yeah. seems like something we didn't might do there was no point of the scene it, it was mm. it was just there uh my second thought here um and i, I don't you guys probably can't answer this maybe you can but um could could the wb have like legal action against Juan for showing Snyder parts of the film without uh, against their wishes? Absolutely, yes, I would imagine. Unless he is a credited producer on the movie, mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm not sure if production... I think production began before he was uh, exited out. So right. he may have a tag on this movie. Um, in which case, I believe that, that he would have the right to do whatever he wants to do. The... The the way the way that article makes it sound is this was when Zack Snyder was being shown the door that this was taking place, yeah. uh, which leads me to believe that there would be a legal issue here with him showing him such early cuts of the film. Hence, uh, the article saying that Warner Brothers was very unhappy with it, with yeah. with what he was doing. I mean, he had an executive producer credit. On Aquaman, Snyder did. Yeah, so interesting. Absolutely, what Juan did was above board. I just, I guess, uh, WB, like you said, he was already, you know, being pushed out, and WB did not want his influence over this movie. Yeah, which I totally so they get. Were just like they were, just like uh, we'd prefer you didn't show him, right? You know, and and uh, you know, this isn't the Zack Snyder uh, podcast, but. Um, a lot of things have come out over the last year that make me wonder just a little bit mm. if uh, hold the phone <laughs> if with a little bit more actual understanding on the part of the producers, the other producers having the capacity to rein Snyder in mm. if these movies could not have been better. Director's cut. Director's cut. Director's cut. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think, I don't think that, I don't think that a, you know, and maybe I don't know what a producer does, but I don't think uh, it should be a producer's job to have a director make a good movie. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know what? I really wish the producer somehow made Zack Snyder make a single good movie in his career. Well, first of all, I really liked Watchmen, and I'm not sorry that thought. Uh, I, I also... I, I also like Watchmen. Yeah. I'm sorry. I like 300. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not shying away from that. I'm not saying the guy's never made good movies. Well, I was just countering what Phil said. Yeah, I stand he, by he, it. You know, he spouted that garbage. Um, so, not only that, but you only have to look at Kevin Feige to know that a producer, and he's more than just a simple producer, but to know that a producer can have a huge impact on a film. Uh, and to look at some of the producers over at Sony to understand how a producer can also have an impact on a film, just not in the way that you want. Um, you can say that about Kevin Feige, too. Okay. Where? Ant-Man. A lot of people like Ant-Man. I love I like Ant-Man. It. I like Ant-Man, Thor too, one. but you could have had that Kevin... Uh, Avengers, too. You could have had that Edgar Wright version... You could have had the Edgar Wright version, except for the part where, if you knew anything about the MCU, you would know that at the time, they had the cabal that was over above Kevin Feige and manipulating every decision that got made over there, which is what made it so hard for directors to work with Marvel. And since then, there haven't been directors that have complained about working for Marvel. In fact, they've all enjoyed it. Man, I wish I knew something about the MCU. <laughs> I wish you did too, because these conversations would go a lot different. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if any amount of reigning in would have had really any impact on Zack Snyder in his DCFU, uh, <laughs> because. Just, just from the like, just from the word go, uh, the movies just were totally inconsistent and not like Man of Steel was the first one, right? And that was <laughs> jump in the air and fall right to the ground, like just everything he touched was kind of an abomination. I don't know, and wholly untrue to the most of the material. characters. I don't know how much amount of rainy in would have made a good movie out of those things. Mm, you're off base, man. Batman, Superman, without the shoehorning in of Batman, <laughs> um, <laughs> or the inclusion of Batman without uh, Doomsday and Wonder Woman. Uh, there, there are definitely, definitely ways that that movie, that movie is bad. But I feel like it rests right on the cusp of being good. Um, Interesting. It's just, it's just too bloated. It's, it's too bloated. <laughs> good, good, not great, though. So, well, hey, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's very fair. That's a, that's a fine point. But you could have built off something good, but they didn't even get that. So, I, I like I, 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 I just on face value, I like you know what. Batman v Superman without Batman maybe would have been good. <laughs> Why did we need it? You could have just made Man of Steel Part Two. You know, try again. Whatever. I like yeah. Man of Steel Part One. So I know you, I know you're a fan. Um, but anyway, sorry for the you know Zack Snyder rant. I, it's funny because <laughs> I don't consider myself a Zack Snyder fan. I just think he gets 
a bad rap. insane amount of hate that I don't feel is wholly justified. Um, but director's cut. Director's <laughs> cut. <laughs> I, I listen. I'd watch it. I'll say that much. <laughs> nope. I'm I'd out. watch it. Fair enough. So, um, you know, we don't talk about politics on this show much. We don't talk about you know. Well, I guess we talk about politics all the time, um, but we, we, you know, we don't talk about the government or whatever. Um, but today we're going to talk a little bit about Tom King and what he is doing to help government workers throughout this uh, shutdown. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's keep politics out of comics and let's keep <laughs> politics out of podcasts. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Tom King allegedly was a member of the CIA, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> FBI. I thought uh, 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 no CIA. Was there referring to the joke? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. about the FBI. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, so he was allegedly a member of the the FBI. No, he was totally, absolutely a member of the CIA. We're referencing something that happened earlier in the year. Um, he obviously has a personal investment in what's going on here. Um, he said the following. With the shutdown, a lot of people are suffering. I've been there. Worked for the Fed for nine years. At times living paycheck to paycheck. Wanted to help. So I'm giving away my comics. This Saturday, Third Eye Comics, Annapolis, 11 a.m. till done. So that's actually happening today. Uh, obviously, for you guys listening, you it's it's past for us. It's Saturday, but you probably weren't going to be able to make it anyways. Uh, it's only for uh, government workers um, to get the free comics. You have to show your government employee ID. Um, I just oh. I, I just think this is a, a really cool thing that he's doing. Um, he is actually giving away a lot of his um, his comps that he receives from DC Comics. Um, you you might you might think, oh wow, how how many comps does he get from DC Comics? I can tell you from firsthand experience, uh, he gets a fuck ton yes. because um, Grant Morrison actually donates his to uh, my former university, and so my comics program was just full of books from Grant Morrison. Hmm. Um, and That's I cool. <laughs> nice, dude. Hell yeah. That's the raddest <laughs> shit you've ever said. There. So, um, yeah, so like, and I don't, you may have seen the, uh, the enormous stack of books he, he took a picture of and, and, uh, put on Twitter. Um, but it was, you know, person high. So, um, yeah, he's, he's got the goods. It's, it's, it's a good gesture because this four week partial government shutdown is impacting a lot of people in really tangibly threatening ways. Like, people can't afford their insulin. They can't afford hospice for their parents. They can't afford stuff for their kids that are going to, like, schools and stuff. There's so many horror stories coming out of this four-week shutdown. And uh, this is a good, just kind of, this is a goodwill gesture from someone that has no... uh, political gain from this he's just doing something to help people out and do good i'd also like to add uh for anyone who might think that it's a that it's that it's just a token um number one he's giving his time which is you know obviously valuable anyone's time but beyond that uh comps are are 
often used as a way to supplement income. So you get your comps, right? And then you go to conventions and you sell the comp sign. That's super common. Um, he's giving up those comps. Now, Tom King probably makes quite a bit of money at DC. Sure. Um, but it's still money. It's not, it's not nothing. So, you know, if you're thinking about it from that perspective, keep that in mind. Even if it, even if it is a bit of a token gesture, it, it, it I don't think it, it's something that should go unappreciated. He has no <laughs> impact on this yeah. partial government shutdown. There's literally nothing he can do about that. Right. It's it's completely out of his power and control. This it's it's I think it's kind of a symbolic gesture. Uh, yeah. And I, and yeah. go ahead. I was going to say it's, it's rad as hell is what it is. Yeah. Like who, who cares? Like it's yeah. rad as hell. Like uh, absolutely. And and I and I I wanted to and you know on this show uh we we always try to shine a light on creators who are doing good things. So this is a good thing and it's you know Hats off to Tom King, who, whether you like his comics or not, has always appeared to be a really great human, which is more important than anything else. So, do, do you think? Yeah. Do you think he delivered them at the CIA headquarters, and they said, "Hey, who the heck are you? You never worked here." <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why he's doing this. Actually, uh, <laughs> he's like, Shh, "Don't tell." <laughs> Said, no, um, no, no! You've already paid your bribe money for the month. <laughs> <laughs> he bribes the CIA with comics. Oh, and you, it works. You got a, you got a Mister Miracle trade in there. <laughs> uh, Dang, so I'm in the CIA. I couldn't get my hands on one of those. <laughs> he stops by the FBI. Keep it going, King. We don't want your comics. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. <laughs> Wait, is this a is this a long box? Yep. We're talking about the comic. We're talking about Joe Casey and I'm not sure if it's Peter or Piotr Kowalski's comic called Sex. That's my dad. Um Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> uh the the book is actually uh currently on hiatus and it is being reformatted to be published as an OGN, hmm. uh, beginning with April 24th, Sex Volume 6. Hmm. Now, uh, I'll just read uh, Casey's words real quick before we talk about what why this, is, why this matters. Um, so he says, It's been a long time coming, but Kowalski and I are primed and pumped to return to the sordid world of sex. This volume definitely takes things to another level of salaciousness. And we're just getting started taking this new format out for a spit. Now, Sex is an image comic. And this is not the first image comic that has done this. In fact, Motor Crush, which I'm a big, big, big fan of, and right. Moonstruck both have gone on hiatus and switched to the OGN format. Why do you guys think that Image is doing this and do you think it's a good idea? Uh, I just want to clarify. So the OGN format is that just just going to release the trade? Just the trade. Okay. Uh, it's um, it's probably easier on the artists, like altogether. I imagine right? that's like, probably true. You know, if you just have to release a trade, you know, every uh, what six months or so, it, it gives you, you more know, flexible deadlines to work with. 
Yeah. Does it? I, the only reason why I question that is because if they give you a date and you're drawing the exact same amount of material to get to that date, you kind of have to work the same schedule, no? I, I would say it depends. Uh, you know, because with a, a longer runtime, you can be more flexible. You know, you can schedule your stuff out a lot easier. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I've only been in, in Europe for a little while, so I don't, I don't have a, a real handle on the, the, the Bond SNA format, but the way, the way comics work here is they come out in, I mean, I would equate it to trades and they, uh, they release like once a year. Wow. And then, and yeah, so, you know, they, that gives the artist and the, the writer and everything just enough time to just do it. And then they, you know, get paid so that they can live. Huh. Interesting. How do you, do you think this is a positive impact on, on sex though? Interpret that question as you will. <laughs> I, I think creatively, I think it will probably, I think it will be good for the creators to create yeah financially i have to say i probably i do wonder um you know in terms of uh you know the people who will just forget it especially in the american market which it doesn't work Mm. you know in the way you know i just described with the the european market Uh, so I, i just want to throw this out there i think that if you were launching a series from the get-go and you said it's going to release every six months with a new trade, yeah, that's different than yeah, a yeah, series yeah. that's in its six-volume switching formats. Because if you are a new reader, you will not invest, you know, whatever it is. Let's say it's fifteen dollars. You will not invest $15 into the, you know, who knows how long this series is going to run. You've never read it before. How much do you have to read to jump onto this? That's a big time investment with not a marquee character. Um, That to me is a critical failure in the sense that. I, I mean, I don't want to see this this book fail. I don't want to see Motor Crush fail. I love Motor Crush, but I think that anytime you do this, uh, you know, you're looking at you're looking at trouble for the book. And in, in, in fairness, in the, with the graphic novel format, when you're releasing trade paperbacks or whatever, and it's already in like volume six or seven, each successing uh, ish uh, volume is going to have fewer and fewer sales than its predecessor just by the nature of the beast no one's gonna buy volume seven as their first volume right exactly it's never a launching on point um and it's 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 not too dissimilar from you know issue 70 of a comic book proper where most people are intimidated by like oh this is 70 issues deep even if it's like there are jumping on points for a new reader um i think sex has a pretty pretty loyal following so i imagine that little group of people will keep buying it but uh to your point i I don't know how much longer this will probably have especially in this format i i want to say two things in response number one is you're right about the way that floppy comics work and the fact that a number 70 is daunting 
My only counterpoint is that it's also $4 or $3. And you can look at a cover. I've done this many times. I'm sure both of you have. Everybody listening, you've, you've probably at some point looked at a cover of a comic that you've never heard of or been mildly interested in that wasn't a number one and picked it up. Sure. You know, took a chance. I'm never going to take a chance on uh, a volume seven. volume seven. It's never going to happen. Absolutely. I think that's true. Uh, when you release a volume six or a volume seven, you have to hope that a new reader is going to go back and pick up volume one. Right. Right. And that's tough. And I also think that when you're talking about a volume versus a floppy and this, look, I don't know the financials, the the amount of money this needs to make, the amount of people who need to buy it, I would imagine is a little bit higher. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think you're right. So I don't know. I, I hope for the best. Absolutely. But good uh, luck, dad. <laughs> okay. Oh, Joe Casey. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I thought you I thought you meant the Kowalski. Me guy. too. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so now we're gonna talk about Spider-Man Far From Home, which finally got its trailer. Um This trailer has so many people talking. There are so many questions, so many things to break down, and I, I'm really excited to talk about it. Not with you guys though, because you guys <laughs> hate Spider-Man in the MCU. Now, I, hold on. I never said I hated him. Kel's never seen it. I've, yeah, I've only I've only seen him twice. That's, that's all I've ever seen him. And did you like it? No. <laughs> so what are we talking about? I never said I hated him. I never said I hated him. Shut right. the hate's hell too, up. Hate is too strong a word for the little amount of shit I give about this little whelp. <laughs> Call him a whelp. With a hard WH sound. Oh, well. <laughs> um, all right. But, uh, but, well, who do you want to talk about it with then? The, I mean, well, you know. The old, the old dead Eastmaster? Good luck. I would like to talk to Pete, but he's, you know, lost at sea. And uh, <laughs> it'd be cool to talk to Marco, but he's never going to get back at uh, – He's never going to get back here. Um, he doesn't so, talk, so. That, that's also true. He's, he, what's he going to say to me about Spider-Man? Um, <laughs> oh, Swamp Thing? No, Spider-Man. Yeah, Swamp Thing. Swamp Man? What? But but in all seriousness, let's talk about this trailer. Hit us. There's a lot here. So, um, the first thing off, off top is that we don't know when this is taking place. Um, and that, that you know, colors everything that we see here. But Peter's taking a trip. He obviously kind of wants to distance himself a little bit from being Spider-Man. It's kind of cool to see that Aunt May knows that he's Spider-Man and is down with it. Uh, we've never really that's, seen that before. That's probably my favorite part, both about this and Spider-Verse, yeah. is that Aunt May knew. And for me, that's one thing about secret identities that has never – if you're a kid and you're a superhero, how are you doing – anything without your parents knowing right like my parents breathed down my neck until i was 18 like I, there was no way i could have been spider-man <laughs> well in his in his in, in defense of peter parker his aunt was geriatric and she lived by herself that's true she couldn't run around after that boy um but then yeah so we see that he goes to europe uh so we're gonna see spider-man for what i believe is the first time on on the screen uh 
do adventures. Well, okay, he had Civil War, he does go elsewhere, but in a, in, a, in his own movie, um, you know, leave uh, the U.S. Um, and then, in addition to that, we also see some pretty interesting villains. We see Hydro Man, Molten Man. Um, is Sandman too, right? Yeah. I, th- I think that's like the implication is that Sandman's yeah. in there, yeah. And then we see the big man. We see Jake Gyllenhaal. Ray Mysterio. Mysterio. <laughs> Ray Mysterio. <laughs> uh, cultural. I wish I got that reference. Uh, wrestling. Um, so, just <laughs> before we get into like speculation, what do you guys think of the trailer itself? It looked good. It looked fun. Uh, the trailer itself was uh fine. It had a lot in it. I thought, like as far as trailers go, it was a little jam packed. Um, it was a little difficult to kind of figure out what was happening, I guess. Hmm. What? Did we watch the same trailer? No, no, it's like from the point of like, why is there a fireman and a waterman? Like, like that aspect of it, I guess. I don't mean that it's, it's convoluted in its plot. Like, I, I understand the premise, but, uh, I meant like it, it seems, it has a lot of villains in it. And it, it it's a little overcrowded for a trailer to have like four different villains in it, even if they're only in it for a couple seconds. Right. And so you're saying that kind of threw you off. A little, yeah. And I understand. I I, I saw some of the leaked spoilers there, uh, about there being all these villains and stuff. But mm-hmm. for a trailer, I think it's a little crowded. Okay. What about you, Kale? Uh, for me, I think that's. Uh, one, it's I think it's the hype, but two, I think as a as a seasoned comic, both comic fan and comic movie fan, I I I think it's pretty obvious that the ele- these elemental guys will probably be uh, made by Mysterio to make him look like a hero. He's gonna pull the syndrome from Incredibles. Yeah. Uh, that's probably it. I, I was just talking from a trailer composition. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think any seasoned comic book fan, anyone who's ever seen Mysterio ever before, will know what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but I guess, do, do you did this trailer do anything for you, Kale? Uh, I mean, so... My, it looked cool, you know. I think I'm. I'm sure I said the same thing about Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, you know, it it looks cool, uh, but for uh, I just I don't care about this version of Spider-Man. Um, everything I've seen him in, both Civil War and Avengers, as well as the trailers for for Homecoming and Far From Home now. Has it's made Peter out to be this this lackey? Oh, gee, Mister Stark, I'm coming, Mister Stark. Don't worry, Mister Stark, I got him. And now he's just whoa, Mister Fury, it's you. Oh gosh, we gotta go save the world, Mister Fury. And I just like that's not Spider Man to me. I'm not. I'm not interested in seeing that. It was. It was cool when he f- was found by Tony Stark in civil war and kind of drafted into it. But to me, the, the appeal of Spider-Man is that he has always just kind of done his own thing. 
And then when he's a grown up, everyone else kind of realizes, or Peter realizes that everyone has realized that Spider Man can hold his own. He's as good as any of them. So this, this version of Spider Man just does not appeal to me. That said, it's a cool suit. <laughs> I like the suit. It's a cool suit. You know, I'm not sure that I like this trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I, All right. I'll be honest. I normally trailers they get me. They get me, and I just I'm over them the moon. Um, but I don't think I care about this, and yeah. it's weird to feel that way. Um, I don't. I I actually loathe the idea of Spider Man leaving New York. Me too. I'm not into it. Um, I've never cared about those storylines at any time, and, and when, whenever they've done them, I've always thought they were. I mean, for me, they're not good. Um, I think he works best in New York. Uh, I don't care about the whole him trying to not be Spider-Man that they try to slip into the trailer. Why does every second movie have to do this? It's, they do it every single time. I'm over the idea that the yeah. hero doesn't want to be a hero. They're a hero. Let them be one. Um, you know the the Nick Fury reveal. Uh, I love Nick Fury. I don't need him in this movie. I don't need to see him involved with Spider Man. I I feel like this trailer would have been better at the beginning of another film. Like it feels like they gave us a theatrical trailer before any other sort of trailer. Am I off there? What Uh, I see what you're meaning. Like it's not a teaser trailer. Oh yeah. yeah, Sean, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I I was very outspoken in my uh, disappointment with Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, I was a bit in the minority there on on, on the show about that. Uh, I don't think the movie's bad necessarily. I just found it really it left me wanting more. Uh, and like Kale, this just really isn't my Spider-Man. I guess. Uh, I also have no interest in seeing him outside of New York. This is the second movie that he's in. Uh, and you're already taking him out of New York when he's already been in space for Avengers. And he's and, and again in Civil War, he wasn't even in New York. Right. And, and, and a big joke in Homecoming is that there's no tall buildings for him to swing around in Queens, which is a good gag. But like, I want to see him in Manhattan doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. To be fair, if he's in, you know, if he's in the the big European places, that's you know, those are cool places to swing too. But I I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I see you. I take your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Kale, we, we we talked about this and you mentioned it, but I I, I think I like about Spider Man so much, and this is why I don't like Aunt May knowing his secret identity is that I like that he feels like he has to do everything on his own. Uh, he feels like he has to shoulder everything because it kind of harkens back to his whole accountability of Uncle Ben dying. Like, he feels responsible for Uncle Ben Parker dying, and now he has to do it all by himself, and he has to protect Aunt May at all costs, and if she knows that could jeopardize her safety and all that stuff. And it already feels like he has Tony Stark, now he's going to have Nick Fury, uh, he's already teamed up with the Avengers. Another thing that was a defining element of that Stan Lee era Spider-Man is that he was a loser that didn't really have any friends except for, you know, Harry Osborn and 
eventually marry Mary Jane and and uh, Stacy. Yeah, way way later. But he already has like a crew of friends. Yeah, he, I I I, there, I don't feel any of that like guilt that's been so associated with Spider Man for decades. He's too he's too emotionally put together. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to. I do want to move on to you know some of the some of the more speculative bits. Um, but I did want to add. I think Mysterio looks cool when he has the yes. helmet on. I don't want to see Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal's face. Um, You're going to. I know it's unfortunate. Uh, I think that there are probably a lot of things that this movie has to offer that we did not see in the trailer, and that yeah. I'm hopeful for. Um, but this is the first time ever in history that I watched a, a trailer for a Spider-Man movie and did not like it. I loved oh. the trailers for Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Spider-Man 3's trailers were crazy good. No one at the time disagreed with that. And this, I just don't care for. So not, I'm not with you on this one because the trailer for the Amazing Spider-Man 2, I was like, nope, this is going to be dog shit. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I've always said, I'm a sucker. I make no bones about it. Um, uh, I, the other thought I had, I've never thought this before. Uh, I watched this trailer and I was like, I wish this was a M- Miles Morales movie. I was, in, uh, I hope you're about to say yeah. the same thing. If if I could get another Spider Verse movie right now, in, or in place of this movie, I would be one thousand percent with you. Ditto. That's not what I was gonna say. But oh, well, you're well, then you're wrong. Well, maybe not. <laughs> what I was gonna say was, if you take Peter Parker out of this and you put Miles Morales, and you keep everything else the same, it makes way more sense. I agree! Yeah, this feels more like Miles. Because I think Phil's on the money. The guilt isn't present. Um, He's cooler than he usually is, and Miles is cooler than Peter. Yes. Like, at the same age. Um, You know, just going on trips and things. Like, when you read the Miles comics, it just feels more like this. Nick Fury and Miles Morales in a mentor-mentee relationship works better for some reason. Peter's more of a loner. I don't know. It just... I think if you if you put Miles in this position, this movie, and quite frankly, Homecoming, make more sense. Uh-huh. I could not agree more. That the, These feel like Miles Morales movies, and that I think that's the crux of my issue, is I'd, I'd rather see Miles do this. In... In Homecoming, I still haven't seen it. By the way, um, do you do you ever see Uncle Ben die? No, no. It's huh. it's, it's barely over. alluded to. Yeah, you know it happened, but they don't talk about it in a in a real way. There's a moment, Phil. Maybe you remember it. Um, we're on man, Pete. Kind of yeah, talk they, about it. Yeah, they, they, they said your uncle's not here anymore. Right, and, and and for me, that's why I think I like the Sam Raimi movies more. Is it really? You understand what Spider-Man's about in those movies. Well, when I watched Homecoming, I felt like, all right, you know what? Don't make you don't need to make it about Uncle Ben. That's okay. This is the sure. first outing. They're gonna address it later. That's what I thought. Like get like let us get into him and then let's unpack him. That's what I thought they were going for. And you know, hey, this is just a trailer. I now I'm now I'm worried. It doesn't no, feel like that's where they're gonna go. But that being said, let's let's yeah. let's jump hit, let's jump hit into me with some your other speculation. Stuff. Cool. So this trailer has the distinction, and this movie has the distinction of being the first post endgame movie, first post Avengers 4 movie. That is oh. a 
big, big, big problem, but it's also, um, it's a big deal, right? It's <laughs> a great tweet that had like a couple, had like five digit amount of retweets uh, of someone like dunking on him, but this guy was just like, I freaking called it, everyone. I knew that none of the Avengers were really dead. <laughs> and the person's like, good job. <laughs> now, I, I, I want to say a few things and I want you guys to respond. So, number one, the reason why this is the movie and the only movie is actually because of Sony. Sony wanted a Spider-Man movie in 2019. They wanted a Spider-Man movie in 2019, and they wanted it fast. And so Marvel couldn't say no. They're contractually obligated. They have to do it. So that's why this movie is happening. Um, Otherwise, if you look at 2019 for Marvel, they very clearly have nothing else planned. And if you look at 2020, there's only one movie on the slate, and that was going to be Guardians Part 3. So if if you take Spider-Man off... And you look at what Marvel apparently wanted to do, we would have had a year drought until the next Guardians, which would have segued us in to Phase 4, which probably means Phase 4 would have been more cosmic. But, you know, who knows? It, um, it is a, there's a distinct possibility that this could take place before Avengers. Thank you. That's exactly where I wanted to go next. So there is a possibility that this movie does take place before Avengers, but... There are some reasons to speculate that that's not the case. Uh, so there's a there's a, a, a very early on there's a check that Happy Hogan is carrying that is um, signed by Pepper Potts. It's like five hundred million dollars or some crazy number, or, or five hundred thousand dollars, and it's signed by Pepper Potts and not uh, Tony Stark. So. That could mean absolutely nothing, but it could also mean that he's not around to sign it. Uh, my response to that is, and I, I feel like the only reason I know this is because I, I caught the gl- a glimpse of Iron Man 2 okay. fairly recently. Uh, Pepper took over the, the day-to-day running of Stark Industries, didn't she? <clears throat> so I don't think it... Unless it was a like a, a check from Tony Stark and not the Stark Foundation, right? I think it would be signed by Pepper Potts. Yeah, I think there's merit to what you're saying for sure. Um, I but I I will also say I don't think that the addition of that particular shot was by mistake. Um, I think that there's some there there's some reason to talk about it at least for, in the sense that Marvel put it there to give us something to talk about. But you very well may be correct, I th- and actually, I think you're probably right. Um, so, but that's just that's just the first thing. Um, there's also uh, okay. So this actually leads credence to the fact that maybe this does take place beforehand, which is that on May is down for Spider Man. Which, if the world just collapsed, why would she mm. want him to be a superhero? Um, so that, that kind of leads credence to maybe this is taking place before. But they also just don't seem to want to have any kind of drama in Spider-Man's life for no reason. That's true. Does she, does she find out in Homecoming? Hey, hey guys, would you just tell me the plot of Spider-Man Homecoming so that I don't actually have to sit and watch it? 
It's it, yeah. It's like the last scene in the movie. She finds out he's Spider Man. Hmm. Um. So there, there's that. There's this. Uh, uh, there's like a, a a bodega that got torn apart. That's rebuilt in the movie. Um, I forget exactly what happened to it. Uh, in the first movie, I think it got it got destroyed, but it's back, and that's pretty fast for that to have happened. Um, in New York City, a bodega. Come on. Uh, so I don't know. Go ahead. I, uh, I'm just wondering yeah. where I'm wondering where you're gravitating, Sean. Do you think this is before or after uh, Endgame? <sighs> I think that there are two possibilities, and I believe that there are only two. I genuinely feel this uh, way. Before you answer, when when is when is Endgame come out? Uh, like uh, April. A- April. Oh, okay. So the first possibility is that this is taking place before Endgame and before Infinity War. The second possibility, and this is crazy and it's very likely wrong, but the second possibility is that however they fix the world leaves certain people or every people with no memory of what happened. I Man, I, I don't think that's going to be wrong. Uh, I've I've said in our speculation several times that I think I think we're gonna see a, a shift in uh, the the actors and the um, you know the memories of who's around. That would also explain why Peter doesn't seem to be wanting to be Spider Man in the trailer because he has a recollection of what happened, and so he you know maybe Tony's dead. He's feeling crappy about the fact that Tony's dead and everything that happened. He doesn't feel fit to be this person, and Nick Fury gets him back in the game. My my response to that is a, a tweet I saw this week from um, <laughs> I believe it was uh, Rachel Rachel Stott, um, who has done uh, Doctor Who comics for a while. Um, she said that uh, um, anybody who who doesn't get why spider-man wouldn't want to take a suit has never wondered whether they should take their work laptop home uh take their work laptop with them on vacation (laughs) that's pretty good that's a decent point and he also does say something to the effect of i just want to be on vacation and he is a kid dude just wants to hang out with his friends like yeah that's that's possible i could be reading way more into it um that's again this is just our speculation but um yeah, I I believe that it's one of those two outcomes. I don't believe that this is a post snap film in which the characters have returned, but the world is what it was. If that makes sense, because you got to fake. There'd be too much despair. There's no way that you know everybody's just hunky dory if that happened and we're just back to. You can't go back to the status quo. Well, it depends. If everyone if everyone is able just to come back from the snap, then I I guess everyone would be able to kind of carry on. That can't be. Think about the real world, right? If first of all, many 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 people would have died not from the snap. Do those people come back? What about all the property damage? What about all of the damages? What about the psychological impact? You can't. There's no way that the result of Avengers Endgame is just. Hey, we're back and everything is normal. They can't that cannot happen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 
Uh, yeah, I, they would have to have some kind of minor race, I guess. Uh, what if, if it does? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that's, either. That's bad then. Yeah. Um, and Ant Man and the Wasp came out after Avengers uh, three, and that yeah. took place before uh, Avengers until the very end. Oh man, you're good at this, Phil. So. Uh, there, there's a Newsarama article, which is a great article, um, and it's talking about all this stuff. And it actually talks about the timeline and the possibility of this movie taking place before Infinity War and if there's precedent for that. And so here's what it says. It says, uh, Homecoming and Black Panther begin immediately following the events of Civil War and then take place over the ensuing weeks following. And neither of them lead immediately into Infinity War, but Thor Ragnarok, released in 2017, in between Homecoming and Black Panther, leads immediately into Infinity War. And Ant-Man and the Wasp, released after Infinity War, and once presumed to be a prequel, more or less occurs concurrent with it. So, there's not a great reason to believe that homecoming could not take place before infinity war and if it does take place prior to infinity war marvel is brilliant for not saying that they're brilliant for saying nothing and you know what uh i i think about how at the end of homecoming sorry kale at the end of homecoming there's that scene where tony stark's like hey kid you can be a full-fledged avenger now and he's like ah now, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'd rather be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. There could be that like, doubt here of himself, of his ability, and that could be why he's like, I don't know if I should do this. Maybe I should just be a regular kid. I want to ask out this girl that's really attractive, and be uh, being a superhero takes away from my life as a teenager. So right. I could see that. What? I could see him not wanting to be Spider-Man. I could see, that, I could see why that's there. Just not even from like a being traumatized by the infinity war oh, this, this okay yeah, yeah. I, see, I see what you're saying okay like i could just hear me like i'm on vacation and like i have this opportunity to like have a girlfriend and like i haven't died in space yet <laughs> so as much as i really really loved this conversation and doing this we do have to <laughs> unfortunately um, okay doke but i do think that we'll learn more uh, really soon because Avengers Endgame is 100 days away. Less than 100. <laughs> Avengers Infinity War is less than 100 days away. So we're going to know a lot more really soon. Oh, no. But uh, That sneeze. It's like the snap. I find myself fading away. Uh, Phil, I don't feel very good. Oh, no. Ah, uh, yes. I'm the only one left. Yes. Now I get to do Sean Soapbox as a podcast. Welcome to episode one. My of dog, Sean you already do Sean Soapbox as a, as a box. I thought you, you were dead, motherfucker. <laughs> the video game pals is Pete's Soapbox. <laughs> and this podcast is interrupt Sean as much as possible. Dog, I edit that show every week. And it's like an hour of Pete and then a half hour of the rest of the guys. <laughs> Have you ever told him that? Because that's really funny. Yes. <laughs> oh God, this is this is. I'm not. I love Pete to death. I'm not trying to crap on him, but this is too funny. I've never said this. Um, so. <laughs> this is the shit I like. Welcome to the gods. <laughs> With the gods. <laughs> 
You are now tuning into the gauze. Into the hot gauze. Uh, so we were doing the, you know, the year-end review stuff <laughs> on VGP. And, uh, you know, like, he 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 started, like, he would say, it was like the favorite video game, favorite blah, blah, blah. And he started a couple of them, you know, giving his first. And then he took the back seat for one or two. And then on the very last one, he goes, <laughs> he's like, since I've gone last on all of these, I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Pete shit I ever heard. I rolled my eyes so hard, man. I was just like, oh, I love Pete. Hey, Sean. Hey. If his voice isn't the loudest in the room. Is it? Is he even talking? Well, the answer is no. No, that's that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a dig. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Pete. Uh, so, a meme has spawned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you two did the hot gods. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> It sure has, Sean. A meme has spawned. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I guess uh, an interesting transition there. But um, <laughs> a meme a meme surrounding the release of the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer has spawned. Uh, people have taken the 10-year challenge and applied it to Aunt May. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! So, uh, Aunt May's last appearance from the Spider-Man Raimi films was in 2007, and uh, <laughs> a Spider-Man: Homecoming first released in 2017, which was the debut of Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. So she kind of, uh, <laughs> I guess you could say, glowed up. Yeah, <laughs> had herself a glow up. <laughs> that shit's miraculous. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you, that's the power of of the gays. Uh, what is that? Not what that acronym is for. <laughs> tell me more. Hang on, I'm gonna look it up. All right, so as Kel gets really, himself into trouble, I really hope he's wrong. <laughs> I, I I don't even know what he think what he thinks. I would see it in the context of people realizing they're gay. So I've always just associated it with. Oh, they realize they're gay, so now they just got hot. Oh, that, well. It seems like that's not the case. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but the color in Kale's face is changing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing on this show is when Kale says something <laughs> and has to, has to walk it back or figure it out or tweak it. Um, but, but no, I actually, I just thought this was a really kind of funny... Um, thing that's happened with this 10-year challenge and uh it, it it kind of inspired a question that i wanted to ask you guys huh um do you uh do you have an organized question of the week for us uh no it's random oh is oh. it because you thought about it <laughs> oh well all right, all right well actually uh i was stuck between two and i only chose one of them right now so it's can you, I guess that makes it the random ah! question of the week. Nice. You know no, can you give it to me as a buy or sell? <laughs> I can't, sadly. <laughs> I wish I could. I wanted to do a buy or sell. Um, 
all right, buy or sell uh, <laughs> Sam Raimi's <laughs> on me. <laughs> Or Marissa Tomei. <laughs> Give me that gilf. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. When she, uh, when, well, she, when, she, when she says to Tommy McGuire, you're not Superman, you know. Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> hey, May, have you seen my comic books? Oh, those dreadful things? Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> What was it that she did with them? <laughs> she gave them to, uh, the, gave him to the kid next door, yeah. <laughs> she punked his ass out. She told, him, <laughs> she told him he wasn't Superman, and she gave his comics away to some shitty neighbor. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Oh, gosh, that's funny. Um, so just to answer the question, I'm buying on Marissa Tomei. You gotta be kidding oh, me. Oh, yeah. Marissa Tomei. Yeah, without question. Uh, so no, the, the, the random question of the week is actually 10 years from, so from now, 10 years ago, can you think of a character who you did not like that you now like? I can think of a character I did like and don't like anymore. <laughs> Spider-Man. Really? <clears throat> no, I still like Spider-Man. Okay. For Pete, it would be Miles. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. Oh, dang. Okay, a character I didn't like ten years ago that I like now. I have to actually think about that. Uh, Um... I think I uh, give me a second. There's definitely someone. Um, as I scan my bookshelf, uh, Kale, you loaded up with an answer while he thinks. I've I've probably got another one I don't like. Are you freaking negative, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 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 re the debut of Jason Todd, I thought was handled really really well. And then his, uh, you know, the the way he uh, became the Red Hood, uh, both in Judd Winnick's run and Grant Morrison's run, mm. I think I, I really enjoyed all that. Uh, but now I think it's, I don't like that character at all. I don't like how he's um, uh, an anti-hero and he's, you know, the black sheep <laughs> of the Bat family. I think that's ridiculous. Well, it doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't help that one of your least favorite writers, Scott Lobdell, has been writing him so prominently for oh, the last five yeah. years. Okay, oh, I got gosh. two. I got two. Right. Uh, the first one's Wolverine. I loved Wolverine mm. as a kid, but he became so oversaturated in the late two thousands and being in so many books and becoming just like a walking stereotype of himself that I was like, I am done. Wolf Wolverine, okay. <laughs> no more. That was one of my answers. But he's back, he's circled back for me, and I like him again. So, uh, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Men, or X-Force, rather, turned me on to Wolverine. Prior to that, I couldn't stand the character. I liked him, uh, yeah, uh, similar. I think uh, I, I didn't, greatly didn't enjoy him as a, as a kid. 
Um, even in the cartoon, I was just like, this, this guy's a chump. Um, but it, for me, it was actually, I think it was Whedon's Astonishing X-Men and, and then uh, Bendis' New Avengers. Mm. Um, I really, that was when I really started to actually enjoy him. With New Avengers, I was like, oh, I want to like him, but he's Wolverine, and I just can't. <laughs> and then when I saw him get gritty in X-Force, I was like, yeah, this is my guy. And then um, Logan put it over the top. Yeah, by the, the time the Logan came out, I was like, I'm back in on Wolverine again. Like I really, There was like a moment where I was like, I like Wolverine. Yeah. Um, there's a third character, uh, the Hulk. Similarly, was a character I could not stand in 2007. Oversaturated. Marvel just seemed to be putting out books where it's like, can anyone defeat the Hulk? He had a bit of a Roman Reigns thing going on back then, and I could not stand <coughs> it. Uh, mm. but who was who was the second one? Roman Reigns is a wrestler that everyone hated. Oh, you you dummy! So <laughs> you said you said the Hulk was your third one. Okay, but you only said Wolverine. So Daredevil is the other one, which is a fun and surprising answer. Oh, huh. Yeah, that's why I kind of buried the lead there, and I went to the Hulk there for a little bit. So, uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I had no relationship to Daredevil until the Netflix show came out. Uh, like, I did not read any of the books because that Ben Affleck movie came out, and it completely ruined my opinion on Daredevil. I was like, yo, this character sucks. <laughs> Knock off Batman. And... I just would not read Daredevil books at all. Um, wow. I thought he was so lame. And then that Netflix show came out like 2014, 2015. And I was like, this show is fire. And I went back and read. I I have an entire shelf of Daredevil books now, basically. Hmm. Um, so he went from being one of my least favorite comic book characters to being in my top five. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Um. So for me... Uh, obviously I mentioned Wolverine. Uh, I've got two additional quick ones. Uh, Deadpool. I hated Deadpool. I didn't get it. I thought he was a bad character. I never had any real exposure to him to feel differently. But what I had seen, I really strongly disliked. I didn't like his gimmick. Uh, it was not until, again, Uncanny X-Force, uh, by Rick Remender that I, I, I loved him because he used him in a way where having him be able to play off people and those people respond to him the way that I was in the sense that I thought he was dumb and they're telling him he's stupid. Um, I love that. And seeing him with the black humor, not like, you know, oh, no. I'm black. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dark humor. Um <laughs> <laughs> Not how I'm dark. Uh, no, but <laughs> oh, I I wanted to make that joke so bad, but I was like, no, hold on, Whitey. I got you, man. I got you. Um, but no, just seeing seeing that the way he was portrayed, <laughs> I, I just you know it, it, I liked it. And then of course Deadpool the movie. I, I wish I could just be go into a Batman character and be like, wait, dark like I'm dark. <laughs> No, Batman. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, And then the other character is actually Superman. Uh, I couldn't get it. I I didn't get it. I couldn't get it. I tried. I read a little bit of the Jeff Johns stuff, um, but I caught it like in the middle of the run. 
and it was it, it, I just I couldn't you know grasp hold of it. Um, and then in Final Crisis, I remember um, wanting to see him come and destroy Gross. Darkseid. Yeah. Oh, that's nasty. Um, you wanted, said it. <laughs> I wanted to see him destroy Darkseid for revenge for what happened to Batman. Yeah. Um, but it took a million years. And when he did come, and 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 I loved that sequence. It was really cool. It happened really late in the fu- in the in the story, and then that was it. And so it's I didn't seven. get to him. Yeah, I didn't get to invest in him in any real way. And it wasn't, you know, I'll be honest. It wasn't until I before I even say that I tried again with with. Uh, Oh God, I'm blanking on his name. Why am I JMS? I tried to get with JMS. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> I thought it was horrible. You know, it's not a um, great one. And I just didn't get it. And it wasn't until Man of Steel, and believe it or not, and maybe this, to be honest, maybe this colors the way I, maybe this explains why I like the movie and colors how I see Superman. It wasn't until Man of Steel that I was able to see somewhat the heart of the character. Huh. That's and that's when I was like, oh, all right, I want to try more with him. And um, since then, I've read other stuff that I've liked and. I'm a fan now. You know what's really annoying uh, with Superman conversations? It's so colored by uh, our generation's uh, interaction with Dragon Ball Z. What? <laughs> <laughs> because, like, if you ever go anywhere on the internet and talk about Superman, it always somehow devolves into talking about Goku, too. Right. Because the thing that's really annoying with like how Superman is in our zeitgeist right now is it it's a power level thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that, but it is there wasn't at the time anything that I knew about Superman related that was, you know, being published that I could grab onto. Um well, I just didn't know where to look, where to start. Uh lifting up the curtain a little bit, uh you know, we, we've been talking about book clubs, and uh, I was talking to Marco, who was really hype on um, on this Jeff, all this Jeff John stuff we've been reading lately. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, Doomsday Clock and Shazam and all this stuff. And I said, you know, Sean has been trying to get into Jeff John Superman, and I said, at some point this year, we're going to have to do Secret Origin, which is Gary Frank and Jeff John Superman origin story. That would be cool. Yeah. And uh, I think really that's cool. a good place to, <laughs> to start for that kind of thing. Sure thing. Uh, so those are our answers for for the... Uh, Fire cell. <laughs> the 10-year <the> challenge. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, wow. This show. It goes places I never expect. Hey, in that trailer, Tony Stark's assistants bang in Marissa Tomei. <laughs> That's the implication. Listen, John Favreau's—he's not nothing. Uh, but is he something? I mean, at that age, at her huh. age, yeah. The way she looks, she's seventy in this movie. At his age, the way he looks. <laughs> I mean, listen. Women are. Oh, here we go. Tell tell us about. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about women. (laughs) 
I didn't think you were going to say that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's all right. I'll edit all this out. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> I'm sending that clip to Jess. <laughs> 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 wow. That was a joke. It's not funny, Philip. You want to know? You want to know the absolute best part about this? Holy shit! Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Um, let's 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 not let's not belabor it. Let's actually talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's actually talk about Captain Marvel. No, we're done. <laughs> this is what the, this this is the program, guys. Uh, we're gonna talk about Captain Marvel uh, because uh, uh, there is a GoFundMe to help young girls see the movie. Swear to God, if this is the cousin my my the episode my little cousin listens to, I'm gonna <laughs> just shoot myself in the head. Uh, so <laughs> Brie Larson, who plays Captain Marvel, uh, has uh, supported. Oh, great! We're fo- we're following it with this story. <laughs> <laughs> great! Now that's hosting, Sean. <laughs> so the this is very similar to. <laughs> oh man, I can't even get through this. this is... <laughs> This is very similar to the Black Panther uh, challenge that they did. Uh, yeah, yeah. To get young. <laughs> to get. This is painful. Oh, man. This is very similar to the Black Panther challenge that they did to get young black people to see that movie. Uh, so this is a GoFundMe. Um, uh, that, and and the, the Black Panther one uh, raised over $50,000. Um, and that, that was created by a guy named Frederick Joseph. So now he's created the Captain Marvel Challenge, which will help young girls go see the movie. Brie Larson went on to social media to spread the word. She said, she's coming. If you have the means, please donate to the GoFundMe in my bio to help girls from various backgrounds in the Los Angeles area see the film. I'm working on getting something together for other parts of the U.S. and the rest of the world. Stay tuned. So that's awesome. Uh, as of this particular article, which came out on January 15th, the GoFundMe had raised $17,000 of its $20,000 goal. Uh, now it has actually raised $20,000 of its uh, $20,719 uh, of its $20,000 goal, and it was raised in 11 days. Um, certainly, I'm sure, helped was... The man himself, the other captain, Captain America, actually donating and supporting this challenge. Um, so he linked to it, and uh, he also said that he had donated. So uh, the good captain helping the other good captain out. Is he? Do you think he's furloughed right now by the partial government shutdown? Uh, actually, the Avengers don't work for the government. Hmm. Hmm. They're okay. funded privately. All right, fair enough. That was question asked, question answered. Yes. Where do we go uh, from here? It's it's <laughs> it's very good that people are out there helping young women to see that 
there are more that they are more than the two things. Than the piece of shit thing I just said. <laughs> where, where, Sean, what would you say? Where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> to hell. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, I was over the moon when this happened for Black Panther. I'm really happy that this is happening for Captain Marvel. Uh do I believe that this is going to be the cultural moment that no. Black Panther was? No, and it certainly will not be the cultural moment that Wonder Woman was. At least mm. I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, I think Wonder Woman, for a lot of different reasons, was able to be a moment that I don't think Captain Marvel can be. Um, but that doesn't change the I, fact yeah, that I think you're right. I'm sure that there are women of all ages uh, who need this who need to see this and who will benefit a lot from seeing this. And so I'm, I'm happy that there will be support for those people. It reminds me a little bit of that story that came out when Wonder Woman came out of uh, the theaters. What? <laughs> you were just talking so fast because you were lagging. That it was oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's doing that thing again. I was, I was saying, it reminds me of that story from a couple of years ago when Wonder Woman came out and they rented out entire movie theaters f- so that women could go see this movie in like an entire, like entirely female environment. Oh yeah, 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 that was mm-hmm. cool. Uh, this this feels like kind of uh, another version of that, which is you know it's rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're you, you know we're gonna be t- go ahead. <laughs> Do you think there's gonna be men angry on Twitter being like, oh, when are we gonna take <coughs> little boys to go see movies? Well, we we took the little boys to go see uh, Black Panther. We mm-hmm. did that. Uh, if little boys need assistance seeing the next uh, Jack Ryan movie. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you can reach out to Tom Cruise and he'll help. There you go. I think John Krasinski plays that that guy now. Oh yeah. And on I Amazon. Amazon, I don't even know if Tom Cruise ever something. played him. <laughs> I just said that because Tom Cruise is a white guy. Um, <laughs> Didn't Chris Pine play him? Maybe he did. Did they both? Maybe they did. I'm gonna stop talking because I feel like I'm gonna say something I shouldn't say. Oh, uh, oh, please, no. I, I'm very interested in what that might be. <laughs> nope, not doing that. No, wait, do you, are you saying there are similar characteristics to those men that were listed, Sean? Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, support the cause, help young women, all women, see Captain Marvel. You ever have a kind of a weird epiphany moment where I never, like, actually just kind of thought this? But I've been seeing a lot of the Captain Marvel posters, and just it's the that's a good costume they've designed the last five years. That new Captain mm. Marvel look, I, I I never thought it looked bad or anything. I just never had like a thought about it. And uh, this this translation, I think, is is one of the best that they've done. I think it, it looks really sharp. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, have you guys seen the the Empire cover that was released? I think this week. Uh, the artsy Captain Marvel no, cover is real good. No, 
I haven't, I have not seen that, no. But uh, in any event, we're going to talk about Ooh. Kickstarters and the way that Kickstarters have impacted the comics industry. Dude, I love that cover. Yeah, it's real good, right? So, uh, we've got some news about the way that Kickstarters have performed, uh, or had performed last year, 2018, uh, for comics. Obviously, Kickstarters are all the rage and have been for quite some time. Uh, Kickstarter's been around for a while now, and uh, I think across the board, it does better and better every year. You know, uh, whatever whatever it is, it's being Kickstarted. You can Kickstart basically anything, right? Um, uh, and so... Yo, didn't one guy do mashed potatoes? No, it was potato salad. Damn, how much did he get for that? He got an absurd amount of, like, 15 million or something. Grats. Um, but, but, you know, in, in comics, uh, Kickstarter has, has sort of, I would say, changed the industry uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, we've, we've actually got some great information from ICO Partners, uh, Thomas Badeau, who actually posts, I, I, I believe, posts yearly um, how the, the, the Kickstarter performs um, uh, globally. He, he, he posts about, about Kickstarter, um, but he was asked specifically about comic books, so um, he did post them. So just, just to provide some context, uh, in 2011... Uh, $1.5 million were pledged for successful comic book projects. So that's 2011. 20, yeah. In 2017, that number was up to $12 million. And in 2018, it was $15 million, hmm. uh, which is the highest it's ever been by $3 million. Um, and this number has actually been on an upward trajectory since 2014. 2013, it was 11 million. Uh, it went down in 2014 to 8 million, but then it shot up to 12, and it's been, you know, going up ever since. Actually, 2017 was down from 2016, but uh, 15 million, way higher than it's ever been before. And given that, there's not a great reason for me to believe that it will go down. It seems like the kind of thing that would either, you know, stay relatively the same space or go up. Uh, you can quibble about a million here or there, but I think it's going to stay within that range. Um, so that's obviously great news all around, right? Uh, that's that's a that's an awesome thing to hear. Uh, we also hear that sixty nine point eight percent of comic book kickstarters were successful. Mm. Uh, they were, that that were funded. So that's feels right. bad for anyone whose comic book was not funded. Um, yep, but. Uh, that's great news. So on its face, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's great news. Um, I uh, I think it's interesting. Um, I know um, several people now who work for companies who um, are the like the Kickstarter liaison or like the Kickstarter um, editor at like publishing companies. Um, so that's that's rad that you know smaller companies are are realizing the the potential and the and the growth of of crowdfunding and and being able to put a number on how many uh, how many books are going to be sold um and that people are you know able to put their money where their mouth is mm. it, it's a tough model 
like by design um Mm. like crowdsourcing is kind of a depressing concept and i i it's great when it works obviously um there's so many success stories but i think by the very nature of something that's like oh this is a feel-good success story that being topical and newsworthy comes at the antithesis of the fact that it's a cruel model of business because you have to rely on the kindness of others. And if you are not an established name, it requires a lot of luck, a lot of guile, and a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like that it factor. Um, mm. And it, it's it's cool when creators are, be able, are able to launch passion projects through this model, but GoFundMes and crowdsourcing and, and all those things, I, I, they make me very uncomfortable as a model of, of trying to get money. Because to me, it says the models in place aren't working the way they should be. Cool. Thank you. Leave that there. We're going to pick that thread up. I'm uh, on a roll today. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the success of Kickstarter and how it's, you know, how, how good it can be for the industry. Uh, I think on its face, you could you could argue that a lot of creators who um, maybe wouldn't have gotten a shot otherwise are able to publish their books. And mm. that is a net positive. Um, Dirk Manning is, you know, a big friend of the show. And I I would give him the credit of being one of the pioneers of kickstarting comics. And certainly one of the pioneers of comics on the internet. He's um, charismatic and he's got that it factor. He, mm. yes, absolutely. I think he's made that it, it factor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's worked real hard on that. One hundred percent, and you know, a lot of that is a lot of that is goodwill, good, good behavior, treating people you know respectfully. But a lot of it is also personality. He's a magnetic figure, you know, all that good stuff, and he's very, very hardworking. Um, I think that there are some definite downsides to the effect that Kickstarter can have on the industry. I think that there are some problems. And I think Phil alluded to some of the potential problems that it presents and what it calls out about the industry. So that's our main topic. Uh, We're just going to be talking about Kickstarter, how it impacts comics, the positives and negatives of that, and uh, sort of trying to project into the future um, whether this is a good thing, ultimately, overall, big picture. So, Phil, since you had the the point that we, you know, we, we I stopped you on, why don't you, you know, set it off? The very okay. So, the very concept of needing crowdsourcing is because whatever model or institutions in place isn't able to provide for what you're trying to do in any any in any sense of life. And so, if you're a comic creator and you go to any company, any company. And they won't publish your book. There is an avenue here where you could have your book published, but it's extremely unreliable, and it alludes to the things I mentioned before. And plenty of great stuff has come through crowdsourcing, but 
the fact that these great books had to come from crowdsourcing means that these publishers weren't listening. They weren't entertaining these offers, these ideas. And to me, that feels like a fundamental issue with the industry. And I understand why they don't... I mean, these books cost money. I get the principle of it. Um, and I understand it's not the healthiest industry to begin with. Comic books, I mean. Mm. But it's a little problematic uh, from an institution standpoint that people have to go to such great lengths to get a book published. Right. So, uh, well, Kale, do you have a response to that? Something that jumps out at you? I mean, I I can see where you're coming from, and I'm I'm not gonna you know go tooth and nail on this because I, I you know I think I think it's important to speak more generally about something like this. But you know, I can see where you're coming from, especially in the case of something like healthcare. <laughs> Definitely, that's you know the the fact that there are people needing to crowdsource to get money to pay for uh, being able to survive is insane. But not the same yeah. thing here. And I think, uh, but it you know to that to that point, I think I think something I, I don't want to say inconsequential, but I'm gonna because I can't think of a, a better word. Something as like inconsequential as like book publishing hmm. is like you know the big book publishers are run by four people right so you know of course they're not going to buy things they don't like and you're right that is a broken system yeah but that's a system that it is and and i you know in this case in this specific case i think crowdfunding is a good way to get around that Uh, well it's only it only exists because of the shortcomings institutionally speaking though like the fact that absolutely yeah and and I, I agree with you on, on that point, and I think I think the the issue, you know, being that that system is so broken, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, means that the only other way to do it is Kickstarter. Well, Kale, so, let me ask let me uh, ask you a question because you are a published comic book writer. Uh, uh, what do you think of using GoFundMe to publish your books? Like, have you considered that yourself? Oh yeah, I'm terrified of it. Well, like, why? So, Ta- so, so for so for uh, for the listener, I've um, I, I am published. I've been published in um, an anthology, and then I've self published, as well as uh, I've won uh, awards for oh, here uh, we go. small small. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, some small press work I've done uh, while I was in school, um, so uh, so I mean the 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 to answer your question, like you know, uh, yes, I, I I do think about kickstarting and GoFundMe and you know whatever other garbage it is, Indiegogo. <clears throat> um, I I am terrified of it because it it carries that high risk of failure, and even at a successful level it comes with a, a very high amount of follow-through and i think you know a, a frequent guest in front of the show uh, chris sabella um kick-started a lot of his work when he started and you know a lot of it was successful but i don't know that a lot of it also was yeah you know i think he he probably had as many failures as he did successes and uh, 
you know, that stuff is, can be really, really hard. And that's a, that's a, that's a dude that like, you can tell wants comics and loves that. Yeah, medium. Yeah, yeah. But you know, for, uh, <clears throat> for, uh, a way uh, for the medium to sort of turn its back on him and then, you know, have, have it fail like that is crushing you know so i it's i it is terrifying to me that that is uh, a potential way for me to get stories out so i i I do want to add uh a little bit to this conversation you guys were talking about how kickstarter's success represents a failure of the industry and i think that that's true to a degree but i actually think that um you could make the same argument about every single form of entertainment, right? And that the yeah, barrier absolutely. of entry is high. Yes. I think um, I think that that's, that is partially just because of the fact that, hey, you know, things cost money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also because and, – and, and I don't know that this is wrong, but, you know, when you come to someone with your dream or your idea or whatever and you need their money – um, it's their right to say whether they want it or not. You know, uh, mm-hmm. no one is obligated to throw you money for any reason. You know, sure. Um, people could throw you money for no reason. Um, they could like the cut of your jib or not like it, and that's all that matters. In, in, in and listen, PayPal.com/slash the Comics <laughs> If you like the cut of Kale's jib, uh, but but is that what he's calling it these days? No. Ugh. Yes. Is Kale's jib cut? <laughs> <laughs> well, he does live you, in Europe. Yes. I, I'm an American. My jib is cut thing. Thank you for asking. All right. Uh, fair enough. Um, it's been cut since I was a baby. <laughs> I know some... Some. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, boy. Oh, boy. So, yeah. That, that argument flies in a lot of industries, and I think that to say that it's a specifically comics problem, um, I don't think that's really fair. Mm, mm, mm. Well, if um, I if I meant if I if I express it that way in Kale's words, that would have been disingenuous bullshit because I did, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean it was a comics exclusive issue. Yeah, sure. Um, I also think that one of the weird things that comes out of this is. If you none of us were really like active comics readers when we were kids, right? Like eight years old, five years old, not not really. Um, no, that's yeah, that's fair. So I've always heard that in that time period and before, a lot of times you didn't know the people that were writing the books. That's so true, mm. and true. you didn't. You may have gone your whole life without ever interacting with them at all, knowing what they look like. Sure. Uh, I've experienced that myself to some degree when I was younger, not necessarily yeah. knowing much about the creators. Now we like know – When we started out, yeah. Yeah. Now we know too much in some instances <laughs> about these people <laughs> to the point where it's been detrimental to some of their lives. Um, but what that creates is it creates a situation where you have to be – more than just good at what you do. And Kickstarter accentuates that. The 
culture of being a uh, you know a a, a road based creator like Dirk Manning who sells his stuff hand to hand at conventions. Dirk Manning has to be a, a a phenomenal salesman to do what he does to yeah. kickstart well, and he is incredible at Kickstarter. You have to be phenomenal. You have to be somebody that people want to spend their money on. And it doesn't matter as much what the book is. Hmm. I would have bought Dirk Manning's books if they were about fairies in heaven. Because I liked him way before I knew what he wrote. I had no idea what kind of comics Dirk Manning made before I read his work on Nuzerama. Let me hold your feet Hmm. to this fire. What if his work was about pirates? Oh, shoot. All right, well, listen, Dirk, don't hear this. Cover your ears. No, I probably would have. I, I really would have because I thought I really liked the way that he presented himself in in what I was reading. And that's great for him. But what if you are like a lot of other people who you're not particularly good at selling yourself? You're not particularly good uh, with, you know, the person-to-person stuff. Um, you don't necessarily know how to sell your work to the masses. Selling your work to the masses is not the same as selling your work to, you know, a few people. CB Sabolsky. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it's not the same. So, do comic book creators or creators in general who aren't necessarily good salespeople, who aren't necessarily the kind of person who's going to throw on a suit like Dirk does and stand there all day and talk to everybody and kiss babies and shake hands and do that, if you can't do that rigmarole, do you have a chance in comics anymore as a result of the way things have changed? Go ahead, Kale. To go back to Phil's question about why Kickstarter terrifies me, because of that. I don't know that I'm that kind of person. I don't. Like, I want comics. I love comics. I breathe comics. Um, I recently finished my first full um, OGN myself. Congratulations, man. That's incredible. Thank you. It's hard as fuck. Um, I I don't know <laughs> um, if I I would be able to kickstart it. I really, really don't. And it's terrifying. Mm. That's and, – and that's not necessarily anyone's fault. Right, it's just the way that things have evolved. But I think um, that I think the industry has shifted to a place where, and I think this is also true in some other spaces. I think it's shifted to a place where you have to come in a package already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For image, you know, for the like the quote unquote lesser tier uh, publishers, you have to come in being able to be Dirk Manning. Yeah. Even Christopher Sabella, who you know we've had on the show, and he's a great guy. I, I I like him a lot. He's he 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 seems like the kind of guy who would rather just stay in his house in Portland all day and write comics and smoke weed. He seems like that kind of guy. He can't do that. He doesn't get to do that. When I interviewed him at New York Comic Con in 2018 or 2017, he wasn't super comfortable being there. He was fine with the interview. He wasn't comfortable being there because that's not who he is. Yeah, yeah. He's managed to be successful despite that, but he has had to pull himself way yeah. out of his comfort zone to do it. And he's damn good. Um, yep. I think this speaks – this, I think, speaks to a larger issue that we can paint kind of a broad brush on. There 
seems like there is a real hourglass structure in a lot of industries where you have a wide top of like people are established and make up that top and then you have the middle which i would say is the entry point which is real thin and then everyone else is at the bottom and it's not just comics it's like i think it's like any desirable occupation there's like a a, a reputation of people that graduate from college trying to start out an entry-level position and it says you need three years experience when the whole idea of college is meant to forego that like three years experience because you're supposed to get an education that puts you in this entry-level position which in the title is an entry-level position if you're trying to enter the comic book industry I think Sean's right. You have to come in as a complete package. This is what Sean's describing as the equivalent of that three years experience. Well, so if you want, if you want your book on on a big, uh, if you want your name on a big two book, you have to have something published. Meaning, you have to have someone buy you and your work. It's not a self publishing thing. Like you, you have to be bought, and that. That shit ain't easy. Uh, the only exception is this DC class, master class, where they're kind of training their own crop. No, that's not the exception. You still have to have oh, well, there you go. written and you have to have made comics to get in. Look at the people who were in that class. Magdalene yep. Masaggio was in that class. Yeah. she she. I knew who she was before that class took place. That's a it's – a, it's a big problem. Well – I don't want to overstate it. I don't think it's you know causing the collapse of the industry or no, anything like that. But it's an but, issue. <laughs> yeah, because to Sean's point, if you are a very talented writer, it, your merit alone uh, as a talented writer that may have really creative stories to tell and may have really uh, pretty prose, it, it does. We it's an industry where there's plenty of wonderful material. But your work alone isn't enough to sell people on your book. Absolutely. And that is a thing that I would say is certainly a problem um, that uh, I've experienced more in this industry than anywhere else. Because if you look at film, directors talk, right? But who they are doesn't seem to matter too much to people because the scale is so wide we you know we overestimate how many people actually read these interviews and crap like that i think most of the time people see the trailer determine if they want to see it or not and that's it it's, the it's, director doesn't matter as that, much that issue is still very prominent in film and it has to come there's that director issue because the thing is when you're breaking into that industry it's a very similar thing you make short films that you don't that don't have a lot of eyes on it and you can make a lot of indie films by being a good salesman where you go to smaller studios and you're able to get these films licensed and distributed. But, you know, if you want to get a job with like a, a bigger studio, your quality work doesn't necessarily matter on its own merit. There, There is a similar issue with that. And If James Gunn was a comic book writer, the tweets that he sent out in 2010 would have kept him out of the industry. Back then? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> it's just it's just smaller. It's yeah. just it's smaller and it's so personality based now. Uh you look at like uh, music, for example. 
Uh, no, that's there the same are a thing. lot of that would you, people's careers have been ruined by those kind of tweets. People's careers have absolutely been ruined by those types of things. I agree with that, but I mean, there's also certain things you can't ignore. Uh, I, I don't really want to get into this, but like R. Kelly is a person. Well, that that that, um, that took a while to catch up to him, huh? There are a lot of artists who have very, very unsavory things about them that are clearly known who make big money. The 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 folks on the bottom, though, the more insular, this kind of complements your point, the people that are more involved in a more indie scene, uh, if, you, if you have any kind of comments like that in your history, you're done. Yeah. Um, Sean, you're, you're someone that wants to be a comic book writer. Uh, does this whole kind of environment intimidate you? Uh, could you do the Dirk a, Manning that's, rigmarole? That's a great question. Um, I don't want to say that I couldn't because then I'd just be you know defeating myself. But I've thought a lot about Dirk because I do uh, respect him very much and I've idolized him for many years. And I don't know that I could do what he does. What he does is it seems crazy. He's on the road every single weekend. Um, he, I mean, and he's been in the industry for over a decade. And he's, I mean, well over a decade. And it's now, in the last, you know, few years, three years-ish, yeah. where he's really, really seeing it. Where he can take a, a few weeks off his schedule on the road yeah, and stay at home more. It's now where he's able to not have a day job. You know, that's horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying. Where else, what other industry is this where you have to travel... Every single week to another state to stand around for 10 hours a day to sell your your, 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 your book hand-to-hand and be a person that people want to come up and talk to. Yeah. That's tough. That's really, really hard. And some people are more cut out for that than others. But I, 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 we're, we're, we're running out of time. I do want to make it, bring up a couple of other things. With Kickstarter, uh, let's say you get turned down for a project. Uh, not from Kickstarter, but let's say you know you reach out to a small publisher and they tell you no. Um, and you go to Kickstarter and your book gets funded. The quality of the book is not assured at all, right? So the book could never reach you. And that, I know things like that happen in Kickstarters where you know there are issues with the book getting to you, getting to you late, Um Things yeah, like that. Do you do you mean uh, as the buyer or as the uh, as the buyer? Yeah, like you might you might put down for the Kickstarter and then you know it never ha- it never comes to you, or yeah. you put down and it comes super late. Um, a lot of times with these books as well, there's no way to preview them before you put down for the Kickstarter because sometimes the book hasn't been made yet. Um, people skimp. You might not have paid for an editor a publisher is probably going to make sure you have an editor. Uh, if there is no editor present, there's no way to ensure that the book is... Qu- the, I mean, a book with an editor could be crap, but there are certain quality assurances that are not guaranteed in that world. It's kind of the wild, wild west, and you're plunking down most of the time more than the book would cost you to buy in a store. So it's a huge investment with no guarantee on return other than this book may get funded and you may get it. I think that's a problem. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it almost feels like the barrier in the comic book industry is as difficult as any. And uh, the reason for that, I, I don't think it's a simple one-faceted answer. Uh, I think the the healthy stability of the industry is definitely a big part of it. Uh, I think your whole point about personality is a, is a huge aspect as well. Um, there's kind of an issue... I think I think we're getting away from it a little bit now, but there's kind of a similar. I could draw a little parallel with a like WWE thing where uh, everyone always complains about how in WWE they're always bringing back fifty year old wrestlers to wrestle because they were big draws in the past and they still have a casual audience kind of marquee name. There's still a degree of that in the comic book industry too, where these older writers like Brian Michael Bendis or Grant Morrison or whatever, these guys who are in their fifties are still the marquee names. Um, I think we're getting a little bit away from it now as some more younger talent starting starting to establish itself. But I think it reflects the health of the actual industry. And the fact that so many hungry young talent has to go through Kickstarter, uh, I think says a lot about that barrier of entry. Well, uh, to, to that point, um, I think one of the, one of the hidden problems, it's hidden, it's hidden from anyone who doesn't actually like, engage in the industry beyond like reading books but one of the things you come to know when you you know are on the other side a little bit is that it takes an extremely long time to get noticed for the average individual trying to break into the industry and and it wasn't always like that no it wasn't it was not you you listen to old guys like neil adams and stuff and and Tom DeFalco and guys like that and how they broke in the comic book industry and they made it sound like it was a normal job. You know, they they submitted some like they were able to actually submit written and uh, drawn submissions and they got feedback and they built a portfolio and they would say like we'll keep your stuff on file and eventually you would get a call and you'd come in and you work as like an assistant and you eventually work your way in. That stuff doesn't it's exist anymore. Very similar to an apprenticeship, right? Yes. In the sense that you come on you, you're in the bullpen, you're in whatever, you learn, and then they give you a shot. And they would give you a shot maybe on a book that they didn't have many expectations on, maybe right. an anthology, something like that. Smaller title. To see, right, to test your metal. And if it worked out, it worked out. That is non-existent. Jeff Loeb All, broke almost. in on Challenges of the Unknown. No one cared about that book. That that stuff doesn't exist anymore. There's a, there's a real t- Marvel and DC doesn't even entertain your submissions. Yeah, um, that's a that's a that's a very interesting problem. If you look at a lot of comic book creators, they'll tell you, um, and and I've spoken to a lot of them and and followed a lot of careers. It takes a lot of times ten years. It'll t- you know that that's a long time. Some people break in earlier, but and that's really unfortunate because some people have could. Uh, there's a lot of people who can tell their best stories in their twenties. That's when you're the most hungry. Not that people aren't hungry in their thirties, but like that's when you have the energy. Right, and so it's no surprise that it got that guys like Bendis and Morrison and whoever else are still where they're at because even though. Um, even though they've been in the industry a long time, when is it that Bendis became the man at Marvel? Right. John's it, at it DC. 
yeah, it, it's not like it was 20 years ago. It absolutely was not 20 years ago. Bendis became the man at Marvel, I would argue, in about 2005, 2006, when he became the man. Mm. John's is like probably 2006 or five as well. Exactly. When did uh, we, yeah, Grant Morrison's been around for a really, really long time. When did he become a household comic book name? Oh, pretty early on for him. He's a weird one, though. Maybe. Maybe. Because Arkham, um, the, the Arkham Asylum book became like an immediate thing. Fair yeah. enough. But that's a weird one. Yeah. But, but my, my point is, I think about the, the guys that they came in the industry with, and they were legends, but their roles in the industry were already diminishing by the time these guys came in. You think of right. someone like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he created Bane. Mesh, oh, Doug Mesh. Oh, okay, yeah. A really prominent figure in 90s comic books. He, His role really, he really took a big step back in the 2000s. There was yeah. kind of a door of people. Changing of the guards. Yeah. As people would move into like their 50s and 60s. Uh, nowadays, it feels like a lot of those guys are still writing pretty prominently. Like the people in yeah. their 50s or 60s uh, in 2010 standards. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, the, to me, this is a, a fascinating conversation that I don't think happens enough. Um, and, and is there a solution? No, probably not. Uh, what it would, it would really need to come from, uh, people who have a lot more power than we do. Um, and, uh, Marvel and DC certainly don't seem interested in that. Um, need a union. I'll throw that one out there. Need a comic book union. And I, I think I, I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't bring that up. That was like something I was thinking when we read the show notes going in. Um, or right at the end of it. But um, having like actual labor standards for your bullpen of writers and artists would go a long way uh, in, in – but- it's not a bullpen anymore, right? I know. It's- and if you're talking, and in in the case of these Kickstarter things, how do you how do you entertain the idea of a union for people like Sean and I who are trying to break in? It's impossible. At what at what point do you let any Joe Schmo who wants to be a a comic book writer into the union? It would have to go back. It'd have to go back similar to. It would have to go back. In my mind, is how I envision it. It would have to go back to a similar uh, methodology that it was 25 years ago. You would have to have an actual bullpen of writers and stuff. And the the bullpen of talent is your union. And the guys that you bring in because of their submissions and stuff, they're not union, but they're like full-time employees learning there. So you still have the benefits of being a full-timer. You just don't, you're just not union yet. The comic book industry does not seem to care about producing – talent yep it it wants talent to come in ready ready made and i don't think that that makes a lot of sense yeah uh and, and again it's not the only industry that's like that certainly not but because of how cult of personality based it is and because of how grindy it is um and because of how top heavy it is and the top heavy the top tier you know publishers don't give a damn there is no system in place to you know bring people on board and, and look at all the celebrities marvel brings in to write for their books it's that it's the name 
But we, we, you know, we have eclipsed our time here. A fascinating conversation, I think. And I'm glad that you guys were willing to have it. Um, let us know your thoughts at home about this issue. I, I know that it's kind of a niche thing, but it does matter. It does yeah. impact the books that you read every day. Um, and I think about that. I think about this exact thing whenever I've thought about kickstarting a book. I've kickstarted exactly two books, and they were both from Dirk Manning because I know him and I trust him. Hmm. But when I go on there, it's the Wild Wild West. So I want to know, and I wish Marco was here because he kickstarts stuff all the time, but it is what it is. Uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up. Because he's got fucking money. <laughs> uh, I would love to know what you guys at home think about it. You can reach out to us on Twitter at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. We are on YouTube. You can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All the things I just described to you are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you guys to do. Uh, watch out for our Hellboy Book Club, which is out this Friday. Watch out for um, it. We've, yeah, it's coming in hot. We've got uh, a ton of other book clubs, backlog of those that you can go check out if you've missed out on any so far. And if you want to submit a book club to us, uh, a book for us to read on the book club, you can do so, of course, in all the aforementioned ways to get at us for that but purpose. But not you, Ryan. Oh, he didn't hit us up this week. It's probably your fault. Probably. Good. Uh, so, Kale, hit us with your plugs. Uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Comics Pals. You can find uh, Pete at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram he is uh the host of the video game pals on uh tuesdays with uh sean and uh thompson and andy and they talk about video game bullshit wait i thought pete was the only one on there when i when i i, I mean lis- listening to the podcast you'd think so um he also hosts the uh the nintendo based uh loot pots podcast um over at the uh, uh i guess Yes. Um, anyway, go go there and listen to him. See what he's got to say about the latest Nintendo hockey. Um, huh. Uh, as for me, you can uh, hear what I've got to say on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Um, you can find my books on selfie.com slash panels publishing as well as uh, uh, Comixology under uh, panels publishing. Um, and you know what? I'm interested to hear what you've kickstarted. There's a lot of uh, really good talent out there that uh, I think gets missed. So um, um, highlight, uh, talk to me about that. And um, uh, if I like it, I'll talk about it on the show. Oh. Or I won't because I'll forget this conversation ever happened. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Phil? Well, hold on there, little Phil. Earth 2 Marco's back. <laughs> now then. Oh, no. <laughs> I haven't seen Earth 2 Marco in so long. <laughs> Shut up, little man. Okay. <laughs> now then, if you want to follow my Twitter account, it's Mr. Marco Sporty Picks, where I talk about my... <laughs> Excuse me. I'm so sorry, sir. Mr. Marco Sporty Picks? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was very disrespectful of you. Anyway, I'm so follow sorry. me on... Pipe down, son. Follow me. I'm sorry. Don't make me come over there. Anyway. Okay. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Marcos. <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> I don't like the way Kale's looking at me. It, it must be the, the Earth 2 energy interfering with Earth 1. He's 
I'm so worried. <laughs> How about the energy of let's get this show over with, huh? Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Marco Sporty Picks, where I talk about my favorite sports hits and dunks and stuff, because I'm a big sports man. Um, don't follow Marco at Mr. Marco Animoto. He's the dorky version of me. Anyway, if you follow me on there, you can look at all my cool pics of my muscles, because I'm a big strong man. Anyway, gotta go! Wow. Bye. Uh, he's really strong. And yeah. So you, you need can, to move. Mm-hmm. So you can follow me on social media at Cyborg Bebop. Please go kick our Kickstarter so that we can bring Pete and Marco back. We They're have dead. to we have to negotiate with pirates to get him back. So I am uh, <laughs> at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up to talk about uh, your theories regarding Spider Man Homecoming. And Kickstarter, of course. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya next week. I got my drink. My tummy's all warm. Let's Let's get some opinions. <laughs> the view. Or the view of the comic books. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of it. It's not, like, it could certainly be worse, right? Like, I mean, look, well, let's see. There's several knockoff the views, right? Like, there's the talk. There's the real. So the talk is, like, the diversity. Really? Yeah. Heard. The talk is on... Is it, uh, I forget which, it's NBC, I think. That's the diversity view, okay? And then oh we, the real... We, I, I kind of want to start the show off with this. <laughs> the real no, we've, already is, do, we've already done that. Yeah, yeah but I true. like what Sean's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> the real is the black view um, with one Asian. <laughs> and that's all I got off the top of my head for knockoff the views. Because a lot of them also failed. Those are the only ones sure. that have that have like stuck consistently. The the view is the only one with the money to recruit the personalities they need to succeed. <sighs> That's true. Well, the talk has Julie Chen, who's married to Les Moonves, who's okay. the yeah. the head the head guy at uh, CBS. CBS. Okay, yeah. So that that shows on CBS. Yeah. Um, that sounds that sounds like a CBS show. Yeah, it also has Sarah Gilbert. Who really? Is, That's yeah. that one. Hmm. From, from Roseanne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I, it's okay. I've watched it like one time. I think. I don't know why I like these kind of shows. I oh, like I, right. I like your women talk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not like. That's that's not a like that's that's such a exceptional thing because usually the thing with men is like oh I'm sick of hearing women talk you know uh, I don't know man I've always been into you know what other like, people have to say other than me you like you like the hot gauze <laughs> the gauze <laughs> <laughs> yo that's the new knockoff the gauze. <laughs> It's just a Which, picture of Ryan Gosling's face. <laughs> yeah, what are those? What are those? What are those? Hey girl, what are those? Hey girl 
photos. Well, if it's if it's if it's like really true to brand, then it's got to be Ryan Gosling from The Notebook because that's when women loved him most. But if it's if we're if we're really self aware of it, it's got to be him from like The Nice Guys, where he has a really ugly mustache. <laughs> Peak Gaz. Peak Gaz. Peak Gaz. Peak Gaz. <laughs> Welcome to Peak Gaz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Peak Gaz. <laughs> That's a picture of Frank Gosling from the notebook. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh... They gossip about Ryan Gosling. <laughs> just going to leave this in the beginning of the show. And then we'll just kind of. And then I'll bring in the music, and then the, the show will start. <laughs> oh, God. And people will be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That first three minutes, can you make that the entire show? We'll That's like, fucking solid. And we'll be like, fuck you. <laughs> Why don't you guys talk like that in the real show? <laughs> well, we did last week. <laughs>